This morning, it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker, whom you've already uh, met as he brought a blessing to us this morning, Mr. David Bjork. David uh, has tried to proclaim, along with his family, the name of Christ and the nation of France for over 20 years. He's been uh, back for the last uh, year or so studying at Fuller Seminary, and he's now back in France uh, working. He's been accepted to the Ph.D. program at the Catholic Institute of Paris, as well as at Fuller Seminary's program, and will probably be uh, doing his Ph.D. in conjunction with uh, both those institutions. He's just uh, finished a book uh, that was a- he was asked to write by one of the leading experts on the idea of how to proclaim Christ in in other lands, and the name of the book is Unfamiliar Paths, The Challenge of Recognizing the Work of Christ in Strange Clothing. David and his wife, Diane, also have two students here at Westmont, one who's graduated two years ago and uh, one who is still here. Let's welcome Mr. David Bjork. Thank you. When I went to France, oh, some 20 years ago, got in, can we turn on the house lights a little bit so I can see you? Is that possible? I don't know if it's possible or not. Thank you, Bart. Uh, we were, we got involved with a bunch of university students beginning to share Christ with them. Let me just explain to you what the average Frenchman looks like in terms of his faith. Uh, If you were to walk up to the average Frenchman and ask him, who are you, he'd say something like this. I'm French. I'm Catholic. I'm an atheist. I believe in reincarnation. If the person has got children, he would go on to say, I just baptized my son. My horoscope told me that my daughter should be confirmed next week. The university students that we had in our Bible study were, had studied philosophy. They were scientists. They believed in reincarnation. Most of them were atheists. Of the 12 guys in our Bible study group, two guys, two of them, had already held a Bible in their hands. Ten had never held a Bible in their hands in their life. Most of them would say that they were Catholic. Most of them would also say that they were atheists. We, um, we began doing what I call an evangelistic Bible study with these guys in the Gospel of John. Week after week, we'd look at the person of Christ and his teaching. And as we progressed to the Gospel of John, we found some very interesting things. But one of the things that really changed my life was one evening, a couple of the guys after the Bible study said, Dave, we'd like for you to go to church with us tomorrow. Now, let me explain. I went to France as a church planter. I'm an evangelical, Protestant pastor, and I went to start a church. Isn't that what you do when you go as a missionary? Isn't that what you do when you go as a missionary? Yeah. So I went to start a church, and I hadn't started one yet. I was in the process of starting one with these guys, but they wanted me to go to church. They wanted me to go to their church, the church that they had abandoned or had never set their feet in, but they considered part of their heritage. They wanted me to go with them to the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I was kind of stuck. They were coming to my Bible study. I felt like I owed them one. 
They also were looking to me for some sort of assurance. They had put their own feedback in their church for some time. And they wanted to know how I would respond. Now, I had never set my feet in a Catholic church in my life. I grew up in an area where I didn't, I can't even remember ever having a Catholic friend. So when they insisted that I go with them to church the next Sunday, I was hesitant at best. But they insisted, and so I went with them to Mass. And I can remember walking into St. Peter's Cathedral in the center of Caen, which is the town we were living in. I was amazed first because the church was packed full of people. There were maybe 600, 650 people there at church that Sunday. That's unheard of in Normandy. I would find out later that only three years earlier there were less than 50 people who regularly attended Mass at that church. But here I had stumbled onto a live one. 650 people there. And then I felt very uncomfortable. I didn't know when I should sit down or stand up. And the Catholics are always doing that, you know. I didn't know how to cross myself. I hadn't learned the Lord's Prayer in French. That isn't something that we evangelicals learn, you know, as part of, at least from my background. So I felt very uncomfortable. I felt kind of like a fish out of water. But then something happened in the middle of Mass that shook me up so much that I began to tremble. And I told my wife at the end of Mass, I'm not going back. Here's what happened. We were standing up and we were praying. And all of a sudden, I began to sense that God was there. Boy, that blew me out of the water. God wasn't supposed to be there. Not according to my theology. According to everything that I had ever learned or taught, God shouldn't be at Mass. I mean, they don't have their doctrines right. And it troubled me. And I told my wife, we're not going back. I don't like what I feel when I'm at Mass. Well, a couple of weeks later, another guy brought us back to Mass. Again, I had this overwhelming sense that God was there. And so, I, because I'm an evangelical and I don't trust my feelings, I decided that I would do a little experiment. I met with the priest after Mass. I shared with him where I was coming from and all of my trouble. He shared with me who he was and, and his spiritual pilgrimage. I asked him all kinds of questions that I had always wanted to ask a priest but never had the chance to. And then I asked him, Father Norbert, could we get together and pray? And I prayed with Father Norbert for three and a half years every Wednesday morning. Some mornings we'd pray for 15, 20 minutes. Some mornings we'd pray all morning long. And I'm sorry to have to admit that it took three and a half years for God to change my prejudices so that I could receive Father Norbert not only as my brother in Christ but as an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ and a Roman Catholic priest. Three and a half years. I found myself kind of in the situation that the Apostle Peter found himself in in Acts chapter 10. Remember the story where he was invited to Cornelius' place? They didn't really want to go because Cornelius was, wasn't very kosher. In fact, Cornelius wasn't a Jew. Moreover, he was a soldier. And Peter had to have some divine revelation, a couple of visions to, to get him on the road. What's interesting about Acts chapter 10, the scriptures tell us that Peter was standing in Cornelius' house. He had made that first step. 
and he's sharing about Christ, and before he gets to the punchline, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius. It says, while he was yet speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell. Peter was astounded. How could the Holy Spirit be on this guy? I haven't told him all the, all the points yet. And Peter's reaction was, if God accepts this guy and his family, then I better accept him too. That's my first point today. If Jesus, if God the Father calls Father Norbert his son, then I must treat him as my brother. Did you hear that? If God the Father sends his spirit into the heart of someone and, and that spirit cries out, Abba, Father, I've got to treat that person as my brother or my sister. I may think that their theology is dingy. They might think mine is dingy. It's not a question of being an agreement in our theology. If God puts his spirit in that person and calls that person his child, I've got to treat him like a member of the family. That was hard. It was hard for me to come to the place where I could accept that there are people who know Christ like I know Christ, but who don't think or talk just like me, who don't express their faith just like me, who come from another tradition. God's not limited to my conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist background and perspective. And he's not limited to yours either. If God has put his spirit, if he calls someone his child, we have to treat him as our brother and sister in Christ. Now, when, when I was, another lesson that I learned from that experience was that when, when I walked through France in that context where everyone says, I'm French, I'm Catholic, I'm an atheist, I believe in reincarnation, the way that they understand me is different than the way that I understand myself. If I walk up to the average Frenchman and I say to him, Hi, I'm Dave Bjork, I'm a Protestant pastor, or I'm an evangelical, or I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Methodist, or I'm a Presbyterian, or I'm a Lutheran. Do you know what the average Frenchman hears? Hello, I'm Dave Bjork. I'm a Mormon. I'm a Mooney. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I'm a Jim Jones person. The average Frenchman in 1997 could not tell you the difference between a Mormon and a Methodist. They make no distinction between a Jehovah's Witness and a Baptist. For the average Frenchman, anyone who is not Roman Catholic is a cult or a sect. Wow. Now how do you proclaim Christ in that context? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you'll let me read a few verses. The Apostle Paul says this. I can never find it as fast when I'm in front of people as when I'm alone. 1 Corinthians 9.19 Though I am free and belong to no man... Wait a minute. Let me just ask. Are you free? Anyone here free? Yeah. Are you free? Yeah, we're in Christ. We're free, aren't we? Aren't we? Yeah, go like that. Yeah, so I know you're there. 
Though I am free, the Apostle Paul says, and belong to no man, verse 19, I freely and willfully make myself a slave to everyone. Oh, Paul. Why would you want to do something like that? You're free. Why would you want to be a slave to everyone? To win as many as possible? To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those who don't even have the law, I act like I don't have the law. Why? To win those who don't have the law. You see, if I come to the average Frenchman acting, sounding, smelling, and, act, and, and talking like a Protestant evangelical, all they can think is sect. Now, you might think that's not true. Do you remember what you felt when I stood up here looking and sounding and acting like a priest? Did any of you struggle to raise your hand to cross yourself? I did. I would understand. Now what did you struggle with? Did you struggle with the message? Did you struggle with the blessing? I mean, is the blessing Christian? Go like this. Yeah, it comes from Scripture. Paul does it all the time. What about this? Is that Christian? Go like this again. You know that the Christians have always done that? In fact, what they first did was this. And then, and they still do at certain points in the Mass, but then they, they, they change it to this because it's faster. But the first Christians were taught to mark themselves with the sign of the cross, and as they do it, meditate on the Apostle Paul's words to the Romans. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, Christ, or he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. And the first Christians were taught, when you, when you enter into worship, consecrate the thinking of your mind to Christ, the words of your lips, and the allegiance of your heart. Is that Christian? Is it? Go like this. With conviction. It's Christian. Well, then why did you struggle? See, it wasn't the same kind of clothing we're used to, some of us. It wasn't the same form we're used to. Paul says, in order to present Christ to our world, we have to be aware of the fact that sometimes, sometimes we're so Christian, people can't see Christ. Sometimes our religion gets in the way so people can't see Jesus. In France, my evangelical Protestant ways of being often would get in the way. So I had to learn how to do things a different way to present Christ. I had to become a servant. Now, let me just share again. You're familiar with this verse. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, the Word became flesh, right? And dwelt among us? Have you noticed that it's our job to become? It's our job to become in order for people to hear? The word became flesh. Paul says, I become certain things to different kinds of people so as to proclaim Christ. When was the last time you became something to someone? When was the last time you changed so that someone could receive your testimony concerning Christ? You want to know what being a missionary is all about? That's what it's all about.
Being a missionary is all about recognizing that God didn't get off the plane with you. That he's already at work in human hearts around you. And then learning, how do I need to adapt and change who I am so that I can serve what God is already doing here? How, can I, how do I need to adapt and change so that when I present Christ, it becomes good news? Now, you may be struggling with some of those things. That's okay. I've been struggling with them for 20 years. But that's the heart of really why we're even here today on this planet. If I read the scriptures correctly, the only reason you and I are alive today on this planet is because God loves the world. And he won't love the world without us. He loves the world through us. If you think about it, there's no good reason why you and I shouldn't be in God's presence today except that God loves the world and he chose to love the world through us. I mean, wouldn't you be better in his presence today? Wouldn't you be better off? You wouldn't have to go to class. You wouldn't get sick. You wouldn't have to fight sin. Why does God leave us here? Because he's a masochist? Why doesn't he just rapture us the second that we invite Christ into our life? Wouldn't that be nice? Because God loves the world and he wants to love the world through us. But he won't love the world through us until we recognize that first, everyone doesn't have to look and sound and act like us. And secondly, we're the ones who have to often to change and to grow. I came up looking like a priest. I don't do that in France. I did it to try to make a point. But the Latin word for priest is the word pontifex. And that word means builder of bridges. A priest is a builder of bridges. The Apostle Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. Every one of us is called by God to be a priest, a bridge builder. I worked for a number of years as a stonemason. Any, any mason can build a wall. Sometimes they're not straight, but they can build a wall. It doesn't take much skill. We are very good at building walls. We're very good at building walls between ourselves and other followers of Christ who don't look and act and sound just like us. And we're very good at building walls and isolating ourselves from the world that God has sent us to reach. We're called by God not to be wall builders, but bridge builders, priests, pontifex. You know, it's really pretty tricky to build a bridge. Can you imagine this stream? Where do you start? I mean, have you ever, <coughs> can you build a bridge without getting wet? Uh, I mean, when you're in the middle of the stream and you've got water rushing on both sides, you, it's a little bit difficult. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird situation. Building bridges are tricky. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to build bridges. I'm convinced that when Jesus Christ prayed in John 17, 
and linked these two concepts together, he was right on. Jesus Christ in John 17, before he was betrayed, he prayed this. He said, Father, may, those of, may my followers be one, as you and I are one, so that the world will know that you sent me. Wow. Jesus says that the ability of our world to believe that he was sent from the Father is contingent on our ability to live in unity with brothers and sisters who don't look and act and sound just like us. See, the two concepts are linked. We can't build a bridge to the world unless we're building a bridge to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, may my disciples be one as you and I are one so that the world will know that I came from you. John 17. My prayer for you, my hope for you, is that you'll catch a glimpse of these two concepts and that they'll shape your life as you follow Christ in our world. The concept that he is actively engaged. God is actively engaged, reaching people that you wouldn't even suspect. In fact, that often your prejudices would keep you from reaching out to. But God loves them anyhow. God's much more accepting of others than we are. And then, that you and I are called to build bridges to a lost and dying world. To men and women, boys and girls. I know it sounds old, doesn't it? The job's not done. Bridge builders. Priests. Pontifex. That's us. God bless you. All right. I think it's interesting that this week uh, we've had our friend Emmanuel Rozanovsky and Mordecai from Israel sharing about their faith their growing faith in our God, and uh, to have Mr. Bjork here to share with us about his experience of crossing through some prejudices and boundaries. And my hope in both the choice of our chapel speakers and guests and in the teaching that we're doing, that we will be doing that, that we will be breaking down walls, and not just breaking them down, but maybe taking the rocks from those walls and building a few bridges. Let's pray to close our time together here. Father, we ask that you might make us bridge builders instead of wall makers, that we might build bridges to other people, that we might care for them in the way that Christ cared for us and came to this earth and built a bridge toward us and for us to cross. And we think of the great cost that he paid the great sacrifice he made even in coming here to our planet and the reception that he was given by us. And we pray that we might imitate that in some way, that we might be willing to pay the cost to step into another person's world and to bear the image and the witness of Jesus. In his name we pray.
Amen. Let's stand together and close with a song.